Check one, check one, check one. Give me a check. My check. Miriam Tazi in the house. And Malcolm Riddle. Ooh. Are yeah. you whispering? I don't know now how to speak into the mic. Mm. Mm. <laughs> it's been too long, too. Too long. But here we are for another episode of American Riddle. And welcome to that special time of your day. <laughs> Hold on. Don't be distracted. She's laughing at me. I'm going to let this thing... This is going on. This is it. It's a okay. one-take show. Yeah, right. All right. Hold on. Don't call me out. Anyway, we're bringing it in. We're bringing it in heavy with some of that boom bap. That's right. That's the Blastmaster KRS-One on the remix. So last episode, I said I would post uh, different things I find on Instagram. If you go online, look up Battle Avenue. So Battle Avenue is on Instagram. I think it's under Battle... Yeah, it's under Battle Ave. There it is, in plain sight. Look them up. It's all sorts of cuts, clean cuts with little mini turntables. You know what I mean? Did you see that? I did. You showed huh? me that. Little, little miniature turntable with a little fader. They're portable. Yeah, yeah. and they can like they can cut Easily in portable. in a car. A Yugo, it looked like, didn't it? <laughs> it was like they were in a, a blizzard. And they well, were, they were having fun, you know. They were I'm telling fun. you guys, look this stuff up. Uh, that specific uh, DJ... Let me just look them up real quick. I'll post the um, links to to anyone I shout out on a podcast. Uh, not that they need my help. I mean, they've got thousands and thousands of views and followers. Uh, his, the specific DJ who was doing that remix of The Sound of the Police, I can't even pronounce his name because it's written upside down on Instagram, right? How would you even pronounce that? But anywho, we're going to bleed on into the show right now. Let's just get down to the nitty gritty. Links will be posted. Names will be named. And the show goes on. This podcast. All right. You need to stop it right after this message. Because what you want to do, you want to go to Amazon. Actually, you want to go to. The American Riddle. Well, is it website? (laughs) American Riddle website. Good gosh. And the banner. I thought I had it's her. It's the American. <laughs> I thought I had her trade. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. I might I'm still you. trying to figure out. I think it's DJ Destruct. We've already we've already moved on, Miriam Tassi. <laughs> I know. We've already moved on. It's it's past that time. So how do you start? American. Go to AmericanRiddle.com, click on the Amazon banner, and download, stream, purchase the DVD, Blu-ray. I don't even know if they make it in Blu-ray or VHS of Wild Style and watch it. It's the first hip-hop film. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's a... Uh, it's a classic. It is, and, and me and uh, Andy Katz, a.k.a. the Grandmaster Katz, uh, had a chance to go to a viewing of the film with the filmmaker, Busy B, uh, Grand Wizard Theodore, uh, Days, right? Graffiti writer, 
extraordinaire, right? Nice. All right, there you go. That's pretty awesome. So we, we yeah, we had to uh, we had a chance to attend that. I mean, it was for us. We were like kids in a candy store, and we'll, we'll have a discussion. But this is just the first part of the setup. So, like I said, if you get a chance, no, just make time, watch the film, even if you've seen it, watch revisit it. it. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Revisit it, and uh, and and in that way, when you listen to the panel discussion, the Q and A, it'll add context to it, and you'll 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 be able to follow uh, along. Uh, again, I apologize for the different sound quality because we're going to go from this, then we're going to go into the uh, uh, where I use my field recorder for the uh, panel discussion. So it's going to sound a bit different, and then different, and then we're going to um, uh, finish up. Uh, with a uh, phone conversation with the Grandmaster Cats. I had an intro with them, but I didn't have my field recorder set right, so I had some audio issues. Hey, Miriam's looking at me crazy. And I'm not looking at you crazy. It happens. It happens to me because I don't have a what? An engineer. I don't have an engineer. <laughs> I need producers and engineers. However, I can't pay for them. That's why I need you guys listening, guys and gals, uh, to click on that Amazon banner, bookmark it, use it. And if you haven't used it before, uh, download uh, Wildstyle and, and watch it. And uh, let's uh, let's start uh, start the discussion right now. Make some noise! First coming out as an MC, if he could describe where a party would be taking place, where, where just for, for me, this is the kind of thing I'd love to ask. See, he always put me on spots, but this is love. Hey, I was with Melly Mel. I watched Grand Wizard Theodore, Grandmaster Flash, and his brother Mean Gene. Uh, MCs wasn't around. They, Grandmaster Flash had three MCs. He had Melly Mel and his brother Kid Creole, and then he had a brother by the name of Keith Cowboy. So it was just only three MCs at the time. So then other people had two and three MCs. There was really never no one MC. And reason for me, I ain't had no damn friends. So I couldn't say like, oh, Tom, me and you, yo, Mike, me and you. I ain't had no friends. So it was so nice that I seen Billy Mel and how he, him and Kid Creole would be on the microphone and, and be playing as, as the music went by. Uh, they had a little routine, like maybe Melly Mel would say one, two. No, Kid Creole would say one, two, and Melly Mel would say this is for you. And he'd say three, four. And, you know, they'd go back and forth like a tennis match. And I would say, well, damn, I ain't got nobody to do that with. I like that, though. It was pretty cool. So I went home. I tried it on my own. Then, like again, didn't have no fan base, didn't have no friends, so I was stuck. I got on the microphone with me, Gene, and you know he let me say a few words every now and then, and I had to build up my confidence, you know, because I was by myself. And as it went on, I would say certain things and made people smile and laugh when I got on the mic, and that was cool for me. So I wound up doing it by myself and became solo MC. Yes, yes, y'all. That's about it, really. And, and, and I have to ask um, uh, Theodore, um, if you could describe um, an early party as a teenager going out in front of 
I mean, this is, this is I, 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 I fantasize this kind of ima imagining Theodore as, a, let's say, a 14-year-old uh, bringing in the milk crates, but also probably standing on the milk crate so that he can reach the turntable. Yeah, how do you feel? Answer that. I want to hear that one, too. <laughs> how y'all doing? First of all, thank y'all for coming. We really appreciate it. Y'all could have been anywhere else. But y'all chose to be here. Thank you so very much. Um, just like growing up in the Bronx, man, like, you know, I was born into this culture, born into this, to this um, uh, culture, into this lifestyle of, 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 of hip hop and stuff like that. And this is like my everyday life, you know? Um, when I first seen my brother Mean Gene and Grandmaster Flash with two turntables and a mixer, that's, Right then and there, that's what I knew I wanted to do. Cause see, hip hop was always around me since I can remember. When I go to the store, I see the graffiti on the trains, I see the graffitis on the side of buildings, I see the graffitis on the ground, I see graffiti everywhere. And then, um, you know, in the hallways, you see guys doo-wopping and freestyling in the hallways, and then um, my brother and Flash and, and the rest of the crew, they, they got different slangs for different words like, they had slang for marijuana, they had slang for beer, they had slang for food, they had slang for the word girls, they had all kinds of slangs, and that's all part of the culture. Then you had the way they were dressing. There was certain dress codes that, that people had in the Bronx. That was also a part of the culture, all right? Then you had the MC, and then you had um, the, the music, and, and all of that was, 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 was my everyday life. It's not like we got up and did hip hop from nine to five. It was 27 hours a day, eight days a week, 366 days a year that we did hip hop. It was in our blood, it was everything that we did. It was like, okay, do we buy a sandwich? Or do we go down to 42nd Street to buy this records and buy a 45? Yeah. Do we buy a pizza? Yeah. Or do we go buy this? You know, this hip hop was our life. We lost a lot of weight. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and to be able to, like, you know, get a milk crate in, because I was too small to, to be able to reach the turntable. So I would get a milk crate in, and, and my brother, me, Gene, and Grandmaster Flies would let me stand in a milk crate and, and they would show me how the amps work and the and the, the earphones and the, the turntables and everything working. And as time went by, you know, I started to develop my own style as far as DJing was concerned, and, and the rest is history, you know? I would say the Mike Jackson of DJing. You know what I mean? Like, people might have questioned, like, this little kid that's up on stage, Michael I'm referring to, He's cute. No, he was not cute. He was the he was the damn leader of the group. You know what I'm saying? He was cute, but he was also knowing things at a very early age. And if you look at and that's that's what you were doing. And exactly. And if you look at the um, I, I'm, I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with the uh, the new Netflix to get down. Does anybody anybody see it yet? That's good. Well, my character. My character that portrays me in this series is called Shaolin Fantastic. So that person is the person that's depicting me and stuff like that. But 
You know, I didn't jump over no buildings and no stuff like that. <laughs> that person pretty much depict, you know, who I was and stuff like that. And, I'm, and to speak on the get down, I'm glad it came out because as the new generation and the culture of hip hop now can actually get to understand exactly where we came from. For some of y'all that seen the movie just now, like them scenes in the Bronx, that's where I came from. I lived it across the street from some of them abandoned buildings. I actually lived at that. And, and, and to see what, I'm in Baltimore now. I've been in Baltimore since 89, for those that don't know. I've been on tour with LL Cool J. I came here in 89, I stayed, I'm still here. You can catch me around, you know, I'm still doing what I'm doing, doing the little shows. I bring hip hop to the, to the place to be. Got some MCs in here tonight that y'all might be familiar with. And, and I bring it, we do Outer Bar, we do, we do Sonar when Sonar was here. So we're still trying to keep the culture. For the ladies out there, I definitely need y'all help because I don't want y'all to get it twisted when y'all hear the word hip hop. Hip hop is the culture. Uh, rap is something we do. Hip hop is something we live. So when you see the BETs and the VH1s and the MTVs, don't get it twisted. We don't have no bitches and hoes in the culture of hip hop. Ladies, queens, single mothers, working mothers, but dad, you know, that don't get it twisted. BET and VH1, they, that's the good TV shows and certain stuff like that. But in the culture of hip hop, it's all about peace, love, unity, and having fun. That's it. Period. So um, basically I was like anybody else. I saw it being done by the first generation of writers that came before me, people like Phase 2, Clip 159, Tracy 168, Blade, you know, the list goes on. And I was inspired by what, what they did, what, what I saw them doing on the trains. And little by little I started meeting people that were actually going out and painting trains. And to you, spray paint is like an untamed medium because you know, there's no class for it. You gotta learn, it, it, it's like knowledge that has to be handed down. And you have to pick up an instrument and find some way to control it. So it was it was a while before I got to really master the use of spray paint and to the point where I was comfortable painting my name. So um, it's no exaggeration for me to say that from a period of 1976 to 80, 1983, painting subways was my whole life. <laughs> I mean, there really wasn't room for, for much else. Um, if I wasn't out stealing paint, I was in my room drawing, developing letter styles, um, politicking with other writers, finding out where, what they were doing, and after I'd finished painting a subway car, I would spend countless hours on subway platforms trying to photograph my work. I spent, I feel like I spent half my life on Intervale Avenue in the Bronx, just waiting for trains to go by. Um, 
But can you, can, can, I would just like to hear, because you've got reminders with Henry Chalfant photographs and Marty Cooper photographs, and probably you got a number of your own photographs of, of pieces, but I'm just trying to focus on one moment of one piece that you did that Which was, was a major for, for you a feeling like I've arrived or this is a, a major breakthrough piece, memorable. Well, it's hard, it's hard to isolate one incident, okay. one instance. Um, I would say I, I did a whole car top to bottom on a Broadway line by myself. And that was like a major accomplishment for me because up until that, I mean, painting subways is largely collaborative. So you're always painting with other people. You're learning how to improvise on the moment, how to um, develop things really on the spot. So to do things, something like that completely by myself was a, was a big accomplishment. And what were their figures on the train? No, it was just my name. Yeah. The word days across the whole yeah. train. That was it. And, and Is that enough? <laughs> so it brings up the second question that I have. Because you must, if you don't already know, we must, you must find out about Days' work because he is renowned as a, as a really as a figure of a person that paints such an, a, 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 a specific kind of figure that I would recognize a Days figure from just a little sketch. Um, and he's, he's always been painting like this since he was like in high school. And he does it today and it's like amazing. And I just think with this style that you developed and then when you, if you just saw Wild Style and you did a piece which is the Dixie right. mural, which in the movie looks like it's painted by the Union crew, which is of course a fictionalized right. Yeah, but, but I painted it and anyway, I, <laughs> you know, basically the, the, the idea that I had for the Dixie was I wanted it to be a reflection of the important elements in the movie. So if you look at the letters, they're kind of electrified and that's supposed to represent the electric boogie crew, the electric force that's in the movie. Um, you'll see there's an MC, there's some DJ, there's, there's, a, there's some trains going by, and these are all elements that I, I picked out of the movie and wanted to incorporate in the Dixie. Now, if you look at my trains, a lot of this, a lot of my trains were known for having characters in it, so I, I could always draw and invent my own characters, so I would incorporate that into my trains. So really, the Dixie mural is an extension of that. Anybody have a question for one of us? Phil, in the back there? There's no place on the planet. 
So for all hip hoppers, hip hopettes, we took Planet Earth, y'all. Yeah, I mean, I, I basically feel, um, you know, the same way I'm busy feel. I just want people to realize, you know, where the culture came from, you know? That's why we are doing stuff like this with the Q&A and everything, because the real story has to be told. There's a lot of um, uh, 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 journalists out there that's writing books and, and doing uh, 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 documentaries and stuff like that, and they are not telling the real story. If you want to know the real story about, about hip hop and where it come from, you gotta talk to us, you know? You gotta talk to us, if, you know? Because if you don't talk to us, you know, the information is not gonna be there, you know? That's why, you know, I'm, I'm glad that when you go to the Smithsonian Institute, they have like, you know, Grandmas and Theodore's turntables there. You can go see, you know, my turntables and there's a lot of history there and stuff like that. But the, the, the true story has to be told. And, and the only way for the true story to be told is you gotta get it from us. You gotta get it from us. Right? Yeah? I have a question. First of all, thank you for being here. This movie literally changed my life. I appreciate you all. Thank you. Um, Busy B, uh, days. How scientific was it? Like, were you just pretty much learning from osmosis or did you do the needle drop and a scratch as a scientific method? Were your, were your stanzas and your word, um, how can I say, your word arrangement was that scientific? And definitely days with the, you know, you had to figure out thin caps and fat caps with Rustoleum. You know, now we have all these paints that are made for writers, but you guys were doing it with paints that were made for chairs and, and things like that. So I wanted to know how, how scientific was the process. Well, for me, um, I truly, truly, honestly believe that, you know, everybody was put here on earth for a purpose. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody here has a gift, you know? That's what makes all of us unique. I truly believe that my gift in life was to be a DJ, you know? And when I started DJing, I felt my skills getting better and better and better as time went by because my mind was, was getting more mature as time went by, you know? I seen a lot of uh, uh, um, DJs come and go, you know? and. Some people ask me, how is it that you started DJing in 1975, and here it is, 2017, and you're still doing the same thing, your skills are still the same way, and it seems like your skills are getting better and better with time. So I truly believe that what I have is, um, is, not, uh, um, is not a skill. What I have is a gift, you know? And to have a gift, it's, with me, it's going to be here with me for the rest of my life, you know? So it's like um, some people just have a skill, and you have to work on a skill. And I have a gift, and I'm not saying that I don't have to work on my gift, but I try to stay and keep myself going to stay better and better every day, you know? And, and, and when I created the needle drop and, and, and then the scratch, that was just a part of my gift, you know? And I'm just thankful every day that I was able to, to make a contribution to an art form, to, to something that's bigger than I am. And I thank God every day that I, that I, that I made that contribution to hip hop. I, I just wanna, I wanna add to what Theodore was saying. And 
not about myself, but about you, because I observed you among your peers at a time when people were not observing anything particularly, and watching why did, why is Theodore here? You asked the question, why are you here? And there were dozens of others that are not here. And I would say observing you, you invested in yourself on a daily basis. And that by that I mean you invested whatever money you made from what you were DJing. You didn't blow it on this or spend it that way. You were buying a new record. You were buying a new mixer or whatever. And you were investing your time consciously day by day to increase your skill and your knowledge of whatever was next whatever was next, and you developed the, the digital, different digital platforms where you can um, DJ with a record, but without uh, carrying around a crate of records. And you're, I've, I've watched you do this for decades. Um, and here he is. That's all I have to say. I can answer that part of my question. As for me being an MC. I'm more as an MC entertainer. As far as rapping, everybody raps now. But me, even back then, I kept the, for me, on a microphone, I would say I kept the feeling good, kept a smile on your face. And every time I was there, I was there to rock the place. So that's, that was like a, a rhyme right there. But that's what I did. When they seen me come in the building, they would say, you'll see smiles, like light up, like, Yes, get ready to go down now. Here he come. And I was one of those. And and, and, and for me to be that, it, it came from the energy of the crowd. I watched what the crowd was ready to do, and I tried to capitalize on that. Uh, uh, at the end of the day, I, again, I would say I had to reinvent myself, which I do every three years, because these rappers today, you got some country ones, some other south ones, some north ones. You don't know who is what. So I try to keep minds going. As you can see, I'm from 1977 to 2017. You know, between the new uh, test of the time, uh, how would you call it? The, the new phase, the, you know, you got the new phase now, uh, new test of the times. I'm still here doing what I'm doing. And, and, I, and I love it because y'all give me the inspiration to do it. When y'all see me, you go, there he go. There go my man, there go Busy B. And I'm going to come out, I'm going to do what y'all want me to do to keep that smile for y'all, keep that truth in y'all, keep the culture in myself, because when y'all see me, it's all love, peace, unity, and having fun. That's the culture. And when y'all see me and when I see y'all, when y'all come to me, that's what I give. I'm not the one that, hey, B, can I get a picture? No, I don't do that. I do all that. Anything in the culture, I'm part of all that. So anytime you see me, I smoke good. I mean, you know, I, 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 I like to have fun. Yeah. Drink champagne, as you can see. I never did the hard narcotic drug, so that's why I still look good right now. <laughs> Let me stand up to you. Let me stand up, walk around. You know, in 1977, y'all, Chief Rocker. I'm afraid of my age, 54. Yeah, still standing. I didn't do all the hard drugs and all that. So some of my friends went to Mars and they ain't come back. You know, I went to Pluto, saw Sun, the Moon, and all that stuff. I came on back to the hang my shit. I like to see drink champagne, smoke weed, chill out. I, I just want to 
open that because we've just heard from this side, and I would like to hear from Days in relationship to this because, again, I've been watching Days since 1980, and some people talked about being artists, and Days is one of less than that many, less than this many of people that were riding on the subways and that have, have not only continued to paint, but it's not about talking and saying that you're a painter. It's about being in a studio four nights a week, four days a week, doing it. and selling paintings and having a career which he has maintained without without a, a period of, of, of. I mean, all all this is all that is good, but I, but I think that it's important to say that when I started doing what I do, I had really none of those ambitions. I mean, I really was doing my thing for my fellow writers, and that's about it. That was my world right there. So the fact that, you know, in terms of this whole thing as a culture itself, too, it was so underground that, you know, today, you know, looking at, you know, how many people in Europe and South America and Asia and all these other countries that are so inspired by some of the things that we did, it's, it's amazing. I'm really, I'm really humbled by it. You know, because I certainly didn't think that, you know, it would go further than the neighborhood. But, you know, it just, it just amazed me. I mean, I remember as a, as a kid in high school, I knew guys that were doing flyers for some of the parties that these two gentlemen were doing at, at the T-Connection and Harlem World and Ecstasy Garage. I knew guys like Phase Two and Buddy Esquire and Anthony Riley. These are the guys that were creating flyers to keep the word out you know, and make people aware of these parties. And, you know, I would look at these flyers and, you know, be like, wow, I really want to check this out. And the fact that I'm on a stage now with the two of them, I would never have imagined that at all. So, thank you. Hey, hey, y'all, in closing, oh, could we almost got it? Well, we're not quite there yet. I oh, okay, well, cool, let me say my shit then. At this end of the day, because it's not the end of the day in hip hop, we, Again, we need y'all to help us spread the word because rap is something we do, but hip hop is something we live. And the culture of hip hop is just, again, I'm gonna instill this in y'all, is peace. We gonna say this in unity and together before I leave, so y'all know y'all know this shit before I leave. <laughs> peace, love, unity, and having fun. That's the culture, can y'all say that? Peace, love, unity, and have fun. hip-hop, y'all. That other stuff, please. I mean, you know, we, that's our cousin. Let's put it like that. That's my cousin. You know what I'm saying? We, 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 we the mothers and fathers, and that's our cousin. You know, the little Waynes and, 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 and the Drakes. And that's our cousin. You know what I'm saying? So when my cousin act up and they say hip-hop, no, no, that rap guy did that, but the hip-hop was, you know, that's what we do. So I'll break it down like can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. As, as a part of the film, I, I know Patty Astor was, played the reporter, and, and there's sort of a, a connection between what happened in the film and for some of you guys, I know Days in particular, and Charlie as being a part of collab, uh, of that sort of, that crossover from hip hop culture into what was happening in the art scene in downtown in New York. And can, can you guys talk about that bridge? And sort of, I mean, uh, I know Dave was in the shows with Basquiat, and I mean, and there was 
obviously the scenes in the, the movie kind of poke fun at that, but it's also part of what was going on. Debbie Harry and all these people were part of that culture. Um, actually, Jane Dixon, Charlie's wife, who's in the front row, is also part of Collab, who's been teaching Jane, here. Y'all, she's in the building. She's been teaching here at MICA this year. We've been really happy to have her. But can you guys just talk about that sort of crossover uh, between sort of the art scene and the hip-hop culture? The things that you see in the film were almost happening literally as we were shooting the film. Right. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me, let me do this. For, for my side of the audience, you know the limousine scene when Busy B was in the limousine? Okay, let me say some fly. I gotta stand up. Let me say some fly shit. Let me, let me get this shit together. This is good shit. This is some good shit, y'all. I've got to tell you. You know the limousine scene that I came in? Okay. I was doing that. That wasn't in the scene. When he said we filming on that block, that's what I came in. I came in that limousine. They said, oh, you got to keep that busy beat. That's some nice shit. I came in that limousine. I was, I was doing that already. I was looking good, feeling good in New York and the Bronx, riding around in limousine, drinking champagne and shit, smoking joints. Yeah, I was doing all that. You know what I'm saying? So swag ain't had nothing on Chief Rock. Chief Rocker was doing that before Fabulous and all of you know what I'm saying? I was doing all that sweat. Go ahead and say y'all. Where's that right. place we work it out? At the ouch. That's where we was at, working it out. Because Busy would tell this rhyme. And there was on Tremont Avenue a place called the Alps. That's where we worked it out. And that's the after spot. And all of this was made as a kind of joke or as an inside joke about what Busy B's lifestyle was like at that point in time. And it was not fiction. It was all the way live, y'all. I kept it 100, as they call it today. Uh, the Alps was a hotel. So for those that don't know, it was a hotel. And for guys, when you go to hotels, you know what you do. You go work it out. So... I used to, I brought up the saying, where's that place we work it out? And the fella say, at the Alps, we work it out. I said, where's that place we work it out? The fella say, at the Alps, we work it out. So when it's time to work it out, we take them straight down to the Alps, let loose that sperm, that jingle jangle jingle. That was it, y'all, that was it. That was our, that's all the fellas national anthem. Where's that place we work it out at the Alps? We work it out. I say, where's that place we work it out? At the Alps. We work it out. And when it's time to work it out, we take them straight down to the Alps and shoot that sperm. That jingle jangle jingle. That was it, y'all. Yeah, and, and you know, Tony, it's like... Um, How do you follow that? Yeah, right. Give it up for Busy B, y'all. <laughs> And I feel that it was inevitable, man, that that the way hip-hop spread, the way the graffiti artists, everything spread, because we was all over the place. We was in the streets. We was in the news. When you walk the streets, you see hip-hop. When you look at the news, you see hip-hop. So it was inevitable for us to start spreading downtown to, to Dance Interior, to the grill, to, to, um, to all these places, because um, we started to get booked down in Midtown Manhattan, and he had doctors and lawyers and, 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 and all these people coming down 
to the parties and, and actually seeing us. So it was inevitable that, that people were, were hooked up to hip hop. I mean, you had people that had um, museums and, 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 and um, places where they show art and stuff like that. So they were like, hey, we got to get these guys in because these guys is really doing something. So it was inevitable that, that the way the hip hop and everything was spread. I'll add that Wild Style introduced hip hop to almost every territory on the planet Earth in 1983 and into 1984. The first place that Wildstyle played to a real theatrical audience was Tokyo. And we went to Tokyo with 35 people from the movie. And we stayed at first class hotels. We had the first soul plane. Everybody seen soul plane? We had the first soul plane. Can you imagine 25 Puerto Ricans and 25 black people and 25, and we all on the plane together? And oh my God. Oh man. And what was happening in the. In oh that, man, what we was happening we in the smoking joints in the back. We was, we was drinking wine in the thing. We were drinking beer. We had the first soul plane. So if you've seen soul plane, just imagine us back then, 81, on a plane. Doing what we doing. Store is telling us we by the time when we found out how long we gonna be in the air, if you can find any drugs on us when we land, we were supposed to go to jail. Cause we was in the air so long, we were smoking and drinking. You gonna go to jail? You gonna, if you find anything on us when we land, we supposed to go to jail. Tokyo was it, y'all. We, we opened up Japan to this culture. But that was only the beginning, because it went to France, Germany, England, Italy, and you could go around the, I'm just, you know, go around the whole planet, and um, that changed how people looked at youth culture. I wouldn't even say hip-hop, because it didn't exist before that. Uh, Sorry, I needed to blow my own horn for a second. <laughs> That's true. Any ladies have any questions? What happened? What's going on? No ladies want to ask no questions. Oh, there we go. Come on. Yeah, that definitely, I mean, as I was kind of saying a little bit earlier, is that after, you know, we'd go painting trains that, you know, we would hang out on subway platforms to, to try to see it running. So I spent hours, like like I said, in, in stations in the Bronx waiting to see my stuff go by. But one of the, that's one of the things about that the whole subway painting culture, the whole graffiti thing, is that you painted a train and then it had a life of its own. You never knew when you were going to run into your piece. You could be going to work, school, whatever, across town, and then all of a sudden a train would pull up and your piece would be right there. That's cool. Wow. Yeah, that's dope. Cool. That's dope. Well, I think, you know, times have changed. You know, it's not the same era. We don't live in the same time. and. You know, you have to change what's Just be a bandit, well. be a bandit, be a bandit. Be Zorro. Fuck him. You just got to change with the times, you know. You can't, 
you know, remain the same. So the, the focus then was on subways and painting trains. Now the focus is walls, really, however you get that. Yes, and, and when we did the amphitheater, we got no permission from the Parks Department of New York City. That is a Parks Department building on Parks Department property in probably the um, most dangerous neighborhood in all of Manhattan. That's it, Bob. Um, we had no permission to paint the building and to bring in speakers and create movie lighting and it was all done as an illegal activity, basically. <laughs> hip-hop, y'all, hip-hop, give it to us, come on, come on, yeah. That was hip-hop in 1980. I have a question later. Hello, um, just a really quick question. Um, if all of you could imagine yourselves when you were very, very young, and just doing your craft because that's what you loved and that's what you desired and that's what you thought about every day? If you could think back to when you were very, very young, would you say, or what negative would you say has come out of hip hop culture, coming from the underground and making its way into the mainstream? If you for think me, back to when you were very young, like what negative could you say? For me, for depressed, yeah. depressed. Press messed it up for all of us because the underground hip hop became the culture as it is today. But then the commercial people in the industry saw, like the Pepsi's and the Budweisers and those big corporations that had money that we had no idea that they was going to give to us in no time. But when they did, they poisoned a lot of other the youth kids that wasn't MCs and rap. They actually made rappers out of what we did. They saw what we did and then took a couple of people and said, well, you almost look like him. Here go a couple of about $100,000 and we do this for you. And that's what it was. Well, at the end of the day, I don't, don't hate. I actually congratulate because if you like him and he ain't real, wait till you get a load of me. <laughs> Female. Very narrow path for people to bring out music 
and to go through all the, the struggles that people are going through at that time to kind of find themselves, you kind of created a platform. So what made you do that? Where, what inspired you to do that? I, I was inspired by the kind of transformative culture or what I was inspired by crossing to the other side of the street. I was inspired by finding, I, I was basically interested in what I thought was street culture without knowing what that was, and, and which was outside of my own experience, and um, which led me to getting involved in other people's lives um, people that were living in a housing project near where I was living and which led me to making a kung fu movie in Super 8. Um, and the whole term of collab or the idea of collaborative projects um, was also something of, of the idea of filmmaking was a collaborative project because uh, filmmaking by its very nature, you're, you have a subject or a group of subjects and you have a filmmaker and they're collaborating to create something. But also filmmaking is very complicated and requires help. You need sometimes someone to help you with the lights or to hold the camera or do something like that. And when I started, I was basically doing everything. My main um, way of filmmaking was to buy a pizza and put it on the, um, to put it on the uh, picnic table in the park, which would um, generate the, the, the kids that were attracted to working with me that day on this project would tend to stick around longer if there was an open, fresh pizza on the table. That's right. Um, and and, and that, was a, that was one of my tools. Um, I was also working with people that were very, very powerful figures in the neighborhood, even though they were teenagers, they were people that had a huge amount of influence in the neighborhood. And that was repeated as I met Busy B, uh, as I met Lee Quinones, and more importantly, as I met um, Fab Five Freddy, um, I was collaborating with people who had juice in other areas outside of my own, which led to other collaborations. Like when I met you, Busy Bee, that was a, a, a spark that changed your life and changed my life. That's right. Um, and became a collaboration, right? That's right. Um, those stories, like in the limousine, right. was meant to tell your story. Right. Because that was what you were doing exactly. and exactly what you were doing. Right. And I needed you to do that, right. to rhyme, to all that. And, and so, um, what I'm saying is that the, the term collaborative or collab projects was a really important group of people and, and Jane who's sitting right here, I wish I had another chair so I could invite you to come up, but um, Jane was also part of collab, was involved in, in um, let's say, let's start off um, doing the spectacle or board in Times Square, which was the first electronic board ever. And Jane was the artist hired to do this. And what did she do when she was on the spectacle board? 
Well, she began to work with her friends, like me, <laughs> and help out her friends and showcase their work up on the Spectacolor board in front of all of Times Square. That's the greatest theater in, in, in New York City. And she put up there an, a, 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 a promotional thing for my movie, The Deadly Art of Survival, in 1978. That just shows you how far back we're going to go. And then when we did the Times Square show in 1980, she put up um, a, a thing on the, on the billboard, which was a, a thing of three-card money playing, which was really an iconic kind of like thing that people would get ensnared into and lose their um, shirts very quickly, hundreds of dollars. Um, so if I just wanted to, t I'm trying to tell this story, but it's a very complicated story of, of you asked a question about collaborative projects. Um, but I really wanted to tell it not as if it's an institution, but if it's an experience of working collaboratively with your friends, which is the way I always thought of it. Yes, the Times Square show was a collaborative project and it was a watershed moment for us artists, many artists, and like Jean-Michel Basquiat had never shown before, he showed there, or Keith Haring, but also many, many others that were, had had their first time. It's where I met Fab Five Freddy, etc. So, but the collaborating with other people was a fact of, of existence. It's the only way I knew how to proceed. Does that answer the question? All right. We got, oh, there she go. Come on. Uh, okay, so um, I'm Puerto Rican, and like my thesis, I, I was doing a lot of research about New Yorkian culture in New York, and um, I like read a lot that like salsa and like um, Afro-Cuban rhythms and mambo was like very influential in uh, hip hop, and I was wondering if that was true, and um, what other musical uh, predecessors would you consider like the most influential for hip hop? Yeah, what you read was absolutely true. Um, the African rhythms and, and, and salsa and all that, all, all that was definitely um, 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 helped build hip hop the way hip hop is, definitely. We even, um, even, um, uh, uh, we got like the first Latino MC. We got uh, Latinos that, that kept the, the, the B-boys alive. You know, we got Latinos that were doing graffiti. We got Latinos that were hanging out with us in the parks, at our house and stuff like that. I mean, Latinos, we, they, we hung out with each other every single day. So absolutely, Latinos had a lot to do with hip hop. All the African rhythms, all the you know Afro beats and salsa and all that, Ray Barreto, um, uh, Eddie Chacoon, um, El Grand Combo, um, all of that, yeah, uh, uh, um, definitely had, um, we, we played all that music. Oh yeah. You know, and all that music, yes, everything You, you was, hear it today, yeah, if absolutely. you did it like, for a person like you, you know, you would know the artist, so you would know the music. You would hear it in some of the music, you know what I'm saying? So, so as, as of today, again, there's nothing re re original under the sun. There's nothing new. Everything is, is like redone. Like in, in hip hop, yep. we didn't invent anything, but we in, reinvented everything. That's right. 
So we don't actually get the props for inventing anything except for Theodore. He invented the scratch. He, he definitely invented that. It was, you know, I said he fucked up <laughs> when he put the record on and it says, I said he fucked up. But it wound up being a phenomenon. They call it the scratch. I thought he fucked up. So that's what it was for me. But it was just um, some new stuff. Another question? Oh, come on. Thanks very much for being here. It's great to be in the same building as y'all. Uh, I got a question for, for Theodore, especially. Uh, it dawned on me, what's up with the, how, how did y'all feel about the basketball game, the basketball scene? It dawned on me that was kind of like hip hop, the musical for a moment. Did that come from without, from sort of on the outside, from the filmmakers? Did that kind of come from within? How did y'all feel about that? I always really, especially dug that scene. The basketball scene, the wild style movie? Well, 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 Charlie hung out with us a lot. You know, and he got to see he got to see what our everyday lifestyle was about. See, what we used to do was instead of us wanting to blow each other's house up or stab each other or shoot each other or eat each other's kids, like Mike Mike Tyson was saying, if we had a problem with a crew, we go play basketball. You know, there was this, there was this this park next to Busy B's um, house, Davidson Projects, um, aka the ranch, and. All the crews used to go there and play basketball. If we had a problem, if, if, if Graham was a theater on the Cold Cross Brothers, and we if we was feuding against each other, we go play basketball. If the Furious Five was feuding with the Funky Four Plus One More, we would go play basketball. And that's how you know. That's how that's how that scene came about. The, the losers, we go to White Castle, eat some eat some uh, twenty nine cent murder burgers. That's what we called them back then, murder burgers. And, 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 and we just had fun. See, again, it was peace, love, come on. That's what we was doing. I would like to be a little more specific about this since I was, I saw it actually generate and I saw it like we were heading over to the basketball uh, court and, and Fab, Fab turned to me and said, Charlie, I don't get it. What, what are you, what's going on? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In other words, there was an idea. And you could say that I was influenced by the basketball scene in West Side Story, but I won't say that because that's not true. No. What I would say is this, that, that the, the Cold Crush and the Fantastic were the rivals of that moment, and it needed to be expressed, their rivalry, and how else to express it, but actually have them do a real, that is a rhyming battle to each other. But there, were a lot, there was a lot more to that, that that I wanted to say, which was that th this was extremely technically unheard of, first of all. No one had ever done anything like this because if someone was going to do this, they would take the two groups and they would bring them into a studio and they would work on it for weeks in a studio and they would create a recording of it and then they would take them out to the basketball court and they would have what's called playback. And there would be big playback machines and they would be lip syncing to the playback. We well, that, that takes a lot of time and money. And we were doing things without time or money or rehearsals or anything. Authentic, so, authentic. so basically, this was more like a documentary. In other words, taking all these ideas 
but, but acting as if this was a documentary and just shooting it. In other words, the, 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 the two groups were brought there and they, I went to that location because Grand Master Kaz lived right next to that park. And he went out and he would tell me stories about how whenever he had to really think about a rhyme, he would go and shoot hoops. He would stand there and play basketball. Or the group, whenever they were rehearsing at his home, and they were done rehearsing, they would go out and play basketball to relax. So this was like a totally natural location for this to happen. But also, Kaz was an amazing writer. And you could see that there were a couple of people who were really writing this scene. And they were, now I can't tell you who wrote your line. Maybe you wrote your line, but thank you, thank you. My point being that the two groups arrived at this thing for a rehearsal. We rehearsed for one day, and then we came back the second day, and we shot the whole scene, everything. And like that, that thing where the camera was on a track, the camera was on a track pulling back slowly, and uh, Charlie Chase and Theater were the first two because they were the leaders of the, the MC. I mean, the DJs were all the leaders of the group, first of all, always. Chase, Charlie Chase, and Theodore are the two leaders, and they came in on the zipper first, and they went down the line, and we did 18 takes of that particular track. Why? Because as the camera's pulling back, if someone did a mistake, they'd go, oh, shit. <laughs> or if it didn't sound good to them, they just they just go, oh shit, like that. In other words, okay, let's go back. So the early people got lots of rehearsal. And when it got to Kaz at the end, that was the only time Kaz went, the ball was thrown to him, he caught the ball and said, play ball. What about Ruby D? Didn't they have to put him on a crate? Ruby D. Yeah, Ruby D was on a crate. Yeah. Hey, when he pulled yes. up, he had yes. to imagine him jumping on a crate. <laughs> <laughs> so, in other words, the, the basketball scene was totally real to me as a, as a reflection of real life. But now, now also, hold on, hold on, hold on, Charlie. He sold the, the world and he told these people out here that our movie was the billboards, right? So it's easy to find it because all you got to do is look for the yellow submarine by the Beatles and purple rain, and then you're going to see Wild Style. We easy to find. The Beatles, purple rain, Wild Style. Yeah, we in. Make some noise for that for us, y'all. Yeah, we in. Just look for the Beatles and say, oh, that could be the Beatles. Wild Style. Yeah. We ain't all defined. So, Yes. Yeah, I, I just want to thank you guys again for being here. Uh, I mean, this is just sort of an incredible opportunity to have you guys all in the same room. I mean, for one. Uh, but yeah, and, and to, to come and sort of share the wisdom with us, uh, you know, we truly appreciate it. I also wanted to get just a quick shout out to uh, Mike Wake and Mike Sage for doing the Wild Style mural out in the entryway. <laughs> I must, I must ask us to go afterward, to go out there, and, and I would like to get a shot of everybody out there. 
Well, so, good. Yeah. And I just want to give a, a quick thanks to the painting department, the General Fine Arts, uh, Film, Interactive Arts, and the Mixed Media Fund, uh, because that's what made this all possible. Uh, and Tony, you get the big gold star. Right, Tony, get the big star for bringing us here, y'all. It was a Tony Shaw, y'all. He, he, he put it together. Jane Dixon also gets the big gold star because this would never, ever, if ever, she ever, wasn't ever, here ever first. If it were that Jane is, Jane's a teacher here, Jane teaches at Micah, and Tony, you know, started to I, I collab collab the department and yes, yeah. started to think about it, and it, it sort of led us to this insane, insane place where we are right now. So we're about. Are we ready to let Busy cut loose? Oh, I don't think that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm here to just have fun. Can I do a quick little set, little something real quick? About six or seven minutes before y'all leave. Can I do that? Yeah. Here, let me help We knew that Busy was going to like that runway left over from the fashion show. Yeah. Absolutely. Bubble these over here, bubble these out of the way. We gonna be drinking and not thinking. So this is how, you know, once again, the culture of hip hop represent peace, love, unity, and having fun. So just a few little rhymes and stuff that I did in the movie. That, you know, I just want to share with y'all. Give y'all a little something to hear busy came. And for those that already know me and know the words and stuff like that, just have a little fun with me. Let's sing along. And with your ready over there? We start off like that. Clap your hands, everybody. Come on. And everybody, clap your hand. To the people in the middle, clap your hand. To the people on the side, clap your hand. I start off like this. Nobody can do it like this. Baby, we can. Yeah. 
get to his side. Y'all can hear what I'm saying. Gather around and I'll get your ass in my hand. Guess what? When I was a young boy, I played with stop guns. I never carried a gun. I was knocking out chunks, pumps, all fans, plus sisters and creams. You get in my face, Jack, I'll leave you out in the streets. You know where it's all. I have a chain, no one back, but I slap. It's not your head like my hand was your hat. You see so many of try, so many of die. I know you mess with it to be. You might as well commit suicide. Just like that, we're back. So, 
we just wrapped up. Well, we didn't really just wrap up, but we wrapped up with the Wild Styles or Wild Style event. And uh, what happened was after the event, we got to hang out with Grand Wizard Theodore and we got to uh, uh, mix it up um, uh, with Busy B for a second, uh, me and the Grandmaster Cats. And my field recorder, the battery died. So I'm sure this podcast probably sounds all sorts of crazy. Where we started off outside, then we went to uh, inside. Of course, we had the uh, the recording of the uh, entire, uh, um, I guess, Q and A. You know. So, uh, but any, anyway, let me just get down to it. I'm going to give uh, the Grandmaster Cats, Andy Cats. Uh, a call. Let's get him on the blower, and then we can recap it for you. Give me a second. Let me just uh, dial him. Hello, Grandmaster Cats. Malcolm Riddle. What's happening? Not a whole lot. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you fine. Yep. Good, good, good. Now I was just recapping, so I was, I was telling the audience that uh, we started out at the uh, Wild Style event outside. Then we went inside for the uh, for the panel discussion Q and A, and then my battery died, and uh, we weren't able to recap that night. So here we are. We got you on the blower. Yeah, I'm ready. I mean, I uh, I've done a lot of thinking about it uh, since Monday, and um, it was really a, just a great event. And um, it was special, you know. It was this opportunity that sort of came up, and thanks to uh, Tony Shore, one of the professors at MICA, he's a painting professor and painting. Uh, he's a really great painter as well. Uh, I think he he's connected some dots. He had uh, one of his colleagues who happened to be married married to uh, Charlie Ahern. Um, Charlie Ahern being the director of Wild Style, and I guess he asked, you know, as politely as he could, hey, what would it take to get Charlie to come down here for a showing of Wild Style? And then I think it grew from there, where they they had Busy B, and they had Grand Wizard Theodore um, along for the ride. So it was really um, just very proactive uh, by the Maryland Institute of Art, and in particular, Tony Shore. And uh, it, it was he got to moderate, and he got to ask some questions he wanted to know the answers to. But you could tell he was just a fan, just like anybody else. Yeah, it was, it was uh, special because, uh, you know, what stood out for me, a good, a good takeaway, and I, I talked to, to you about, about it in the, while we were seated, was the energy, because everyone, everyone there was – you know, pretty much present for the same reason, and you could feel, you know, their excitement and their energy, and uh, you know, it just it made it. Even though we'd seen the film before, it was so much better, you know, in the presence of some living legends of the era and enthusiasts, you know, people who are part of the culture that support the culture. No, oh, yeah, without a doubt, it was just great because the people that were there, like you said were there for the right reasons. It, I don't think anyone was discovering it there. Everybody was familiar and they were going there because it was this really unique opportunity to see it on a big screen and to see it with the director and to see it with some of the stars of the film and then to ask some questions and to be in the presence of those uh, of those people. 
uh, made it a really, and, you know, the fact, I think we, we talked about this on Monday, the fact that it was free, you know, you just walked in and, yeah. um, you know, and then, I mean, I don't know if you've, you've covered this, but after we started uh, podcasting, we turned it off to go in. Uh, I think we knew we were in the right place when we headed down these stairs and then at the bottom of the stairs was this, you know, freshly painted wild style logo. And it, it was, was dope. just beautiful. It was it just popped off the wall and it was you know, it was it was the real thing. I mean somebody somebody painted it just for this event and it was gorgeous. Yeah, no, that was that that was uh, we were like uh two kids in a candy store, there's no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, and very refreshing to see so many people from you know different uh, backgrounds, different ages, uh, and it just goes—it just goes to show you how welcoming hip hop is as a as a culture. Well, and I think that they they kept saying that even on stage after the after the event when there was the question and answer, uh, Busy B and Grand Theodore both, uh, Grand Wizard Theater both uh, were we're really talking about the tenets of hip hop and how it really is about, um, positivity and, and, um, I, and being welcome and yeah. making sure that you're celebrating. Yeah, definitely. I mean, peace, love, unity, having fun and having a, having a good time. That's yeah. right. That's what, uh, busy B said. And he, you know, he made us all say it along with him. And I, you know, he, he's a, you know, I was thinking while he was on stage that he reminds me of um, of Flavor Flav. Yeah, he in, does. In that he's he's like a hype man. Yeah, and he he's is. Uh, he's a he's an MC, but he's also like all about getting the party started. Yeah. and keeping the party going. No, I think he takes that role pretty seriously. Yeah, he's got he 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 has energy for days. Uh, I mean, just days and days. Uh, he, you know, he couldn't even sit still in his seat. Um, right. You know, so I mean, uh, and just so you know, what I did was I'm going to play the whole uh, the whole uh, panel discussion on the podcast. So this is, of course, the the end cap of the, of that discussion. So it's going to be a long podcast. Um, but I've asked uh, uh, the audience to, uh, if they haven't seen Wild Style to rent it or download it, stream it, find it, watch it, and then, then listen to this podcast. Uh, I think you'll, you'll get, that's a great idea. Yeah. It's really great that you got it all and that, um, we'll be able to share it with, uh, with people who couldn't be there. And I know, uh, I know there was a quite a few people that just happened to be out of town that wanted to go. And so it'll be, it'll be nice to be able to share that. I think so. It's it's cool because I, you know, as you know, sitting sitting next to me, and I'm always panicking about if something's recording or not. Well, I I just made sure my my recorder on my phone and my field recorder was going at the same time, and I kind of spot checked the audio, so both both came out nice. And you know, it, it's uh, you know, it's not uh, microphone quality, but it, it, it you, the listeners will be able to understand and, and make out what's going on because uh, they had a good audio system there, and. Uh, yeah, for the people that don't get a chance to, you know, it, it's kind of a pain. It's, it's difficult sometimes for me to, to you know, hold the field recorder up. But at the same time, you know, we're we're capturing a special moment, and if we can share it to people and educate and and just let them in, you know, get a glimpse of something that uh, that they missed out on, they can be a part of it, uh, you know, with us, you know, through the podcast. So. 
Okay. Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's just another great medium, uh, you know, whether it's it's uh, just recording or, or blogging about it. Or yeah. I mean, I, I'm hoping that I can type something up and write a little bit about the experience and maybe even connect the blog, if it's all right with you. I just think it's it's one more way of, of archiving uh, this this sort of journey that we're on. It's awesome. Where we're, we're we're seeking out these different these different experiences, and, <laughs> and you know, I think we talked about that beforehand. I mean, it was mo- it was a Monday, and it was at night, and uh, during the day on Monday, I was like, ah, you know, I got a lot going on. I'm gonna go down there, and as soon as we're there, I'm like, I'm so glad we're there. And the next morning, I woke up and I'm like, that was just a great. Oh yeah, I was Great charged. Time. I thought I was going to be hating life the next morning, and I was I was pretty pumped up all day. You know, I yawned a few times, but just as you know, whenever we do these things, it, it's there's a, a processing um, uh, time period after it doesn't sink it. It's it it sinks in over a specific period of time because you have to digest what actually happened. Because I mean, yeah. I mean, you're around living legends and not to mention now this was cool because you took the lead when you ju- you were like let's go get up on stage and we were you know next thing you know after the show ended we're standing on stage with uh grand wizard theodore yeah and and they couldn't be they couldn't have been more accommodating and, and they're cool and nice man. about the whole yeah. thing I, they knew why they were there they were there to celebrate and they were there to help us celebrate their film and yeah. and and it's you know and it, it's so funny because it's you know you were joking around during the movie you're like oh, a lot of these things were probably done in one take yeah and you know it is it is like rough around the edges but that 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 isn't why they made that they weren't trying to win awards they weren't trying to um <laughs> win an oscar it was it was and i think i said this while we were watching it to me it was like a time capsule yeah and the whole thing the whole thing uh whether it's 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 footage of of uh, the the Bronx, um, uh, you know, with the piles of rubble on either side of the street, and all of these these hollowed out buildings. Uh, it's it's amazing. I'm sure how much that's been transformed. There's just so uh, so much in that movie that that was captured, whether it's the hairstyles or the or the even the graffiti styles, the music. Uh, the way that the film looks itself is, is obviously uh, you know, not from this era. It's it's old now, and it's so exciting to see that, uh, especially with all of the things like the Get Down coming out and people paying tribute to it in 2017. But you get a chance to see this really authentic moment in time, um, the late 70s, like right when right when it was becoming 1980 what the sounds were, what the styles were. I mean, it's amazing to see Busy B uh, in the movie and then have him talk about it oh, yeah. all these years later. No, dope. No, no doubt, no doubt. And, uh, yeah, just, just having him there. But also, like you said, it being a time cap, it, it's it's like if someone goes and they videotape the birth of their child. This is... It, is is in essence that's what they were doing. They were they're they're filming the birth of a culture at that specific Absolutely. time, and uh, there's 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 nothing more truthful than what what's presented in that fi- film. That is just just honest and raw. I mean, it, it just comes across that way. And and you know, I'd seen it a couple times, a couple few times, 
you know, growing up. And then not too long ago, a few years back, I watched it. And uh, like I said, it's just, uh, it, it, it it's no better way to celebrate it than to celebrate it with, with the living legends themselves and with uh, the uh, participants of the culture, people who support the culture and, and you. Uh, it, was, it was just a, a wonderful night. Um, yeah, and it's just, uh, you know, I reflect on it. When I went, like I said, to be there, like you said, you mentioned uh, The Get Down, which is on Netflix right now, and the fact that Grand Wizard Theodore, you know, he 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 gave a shout out to his his character that the, the person that portrays him in there, which is uh, uh, fantastic Shaolin, and uh, he even mm-hmm. mentioned he was like, yeah, I don't, I really don't remember, I don't remember jumping off any buildings, you know what I mean? I thought that was funny mm-hmm. how they, you know, how they use their creative liberties to, you know, make it exciting, but at the same time, uh, still showcasing the the culture. Well, yeah, they make it like a like a kung fu movie. Yeah, and I, I'm hopefully you mentioned that you you were uh, you were repping uh, Bruce Lee. You were wearing your Bruce Lee shirt. No, I haven't talked about that so much. That's all by coincidental, though. That's all a coincidence because I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it, yeah, that that's that's just a coincidence that, that the day before I went to the Fab Five Freddy. Uh, uh, what was it? A uh, exhibition downtown, and it was to celebrate Wild Style and the. Uh, the Asian uh, influence, I know I'm getting this all wrong, of uh, uh, martial arts and, and the hip-hop culture. And Fab right. Five Freddy, and I forget what's the other artist's name. Um, I'll have to pull it up. But Fab Five Freddy did some pieces of Bruce Lee that's that's on display down in Washington, D.C. And, yeah, I just happened to, to do that. Just It was just by chance that I, I looked looked up and went down there and then, uh, this this was um, I think we had planned on come going to this, but it just I don't know it, it couldn't could not have worked out better could not have yeah it was it was really it was really wonderful and I uh, I mean if I'm looking for one thing that I wish had been different it's uh, I wish uh, Lee Canones had been there the star well I guess I guess the star of the movie um, well, Days was there be there what's that Days. Oh right, and did you speak to that at all? I no, mean, days Mm-mm. being there, that was that was really uh, intense hearing because he's a very sort of soft spoken, yeah, um, iconic guy. Iconic. He's a man of sort of few words, but yeah, um, just listening to him talk about how his process for painting on the platforms and then uh, spending the rest of the day trying to see his work. Uh, pass by on a train, and then when he did see it, trying to archive it by taking pictures. That's a que- that's such a specific moment in time. Yeah, that, and that's something that was fascinating uh, when he was talking about that. He goes, "You just never know. You could be somewhere days later, a month later, and boom, your your piece comes by on on a train, or or someone sees it." And and but when you when I I was blown away because I was thinking about today where we get everything in an instant. You know, if I need to send you a message, boom. I can I can send you a text. You're on a podcast. I can upload this podcast within the hour if I wanted to, uh, uh, and then anyone anywhere over the world can can get it any at, at any time, any place. But think about back then, there was no communication. Like there was no way for people to say, "Oh yeah, I did this. I did that." If you didn't, if I didn't see you the next day or the next few days, you wouldn't know what I did, where I've been, and there was no way to really communicate it. 
or even take a picture of it because we didn't have right. camera phones or video back then. Right. Uh, so if you didn't have a camera on you or someone that, you know, let alone someone had to own a camera, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I loved that part of it, and I'm so glad that you're going to share that because, the, well, I guess it, when this is playing, you'll have already shared it, right? Yeah. So this is the end cap to the, the podcast, but hearing him tell those stories about, you know, being an artist and, and not even, I mean, I think he says something about the fact that he he didn't ever imagine that this would be anything. He thought it was just, you know, I, I, I really wanted to paint on a train. I wanted to, his goal was to make, to put his name on a train and to do a whole train by himself. Yeah. And to now that now he travels the world and he's done murals everywhere and he he sees these this movie so many years later it's it's pretty wild for him i think to to see the scope of what of his influence yeah no i i agree i agree with you it's uh it's quite the takeaway and, and just talking about it these past few minutes with you is is bringing back a lot so yeah no i i'm i'm glad we went and uh you know we'll like you said we're on to the next i'm not sure what the next uh Next mission will be, I think it's the, what is it, Red Man and Method Man? Yeah, I actually started my Red Man drawing today. Yeah. Hey, um, that should be I'm dope. That's gonna, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, that's going to be, that should be a good night. Yeah, that should be awesome. And then you you po- you posted something recently. Why don't you just, it's not really hip-hop related, but you posted something on supporting the outsiders. I know you talked about it with me, but... Um, I'm curious about that and what it, what it is. And, uh, Oh, I'd be glad to share about that. So, um, it is related to hip hop in that, um, uh, several years ago at, at MCA day up in New York, I, I was able to meet and spend some time talking to Danny Boy O'Connor from house of pain. And, you know, it's kind of cool when you realize that jump around is like one of the most famous hip hop songs of all time. And once the, uh, once the dust settles a little bit after you, you know, you're, you talk about hip hop, um, you scratch the surface a little bit with Danny and he's this sort of this pop culture fan. Uh, he loves, uh, specific things like the, the outsiders movie is a big influence on his life. The, um, there's a, there's a really obscure movie called over the edge, uh, that came out, uh, probably right around the end of the 1970s, maybe 1980, um, and Matt Dillon is in that as well. And uh, Over the Edge, I, I, it was one of those movies I saw when I was uh, a teenager. And I, I, when I talk about it now, most people don't know what I'm talking about. But that happens to be one of Danny Boy's favorite movies, also. So he's uh, he's obviously a, a Matt Dillon fan, and and he I, he it seems to be drawn to these characters that are that are that are kind of rough and tumble and. Um, the Outsiders being his favorite story and book, I guess. Uh, he went to Tulsa. Um, I don't know if it was on tour or if he had just been passing through, but he's in Oklahoma. And uh, he's like, I got to go find the house where they filmed that. Cause I think they did most of the filming in, in downtown Tulsa or around the suburbs of Tulsa. And sure enough, he finds the house. It's in disrepair. I think it was being rented at the time. And the people that were renting it didn't, really even care about the significance about it. They weren't taking care of it. And um, Danny inquired, and I guess 
it was for sale, and he ended up purchasing the house uh, with the the grand plan, the ambitious plan to renovate it so that it looks the way it did in the movie. And then the interior of the house will also be as it appears in the movie, but it will also serve as an outsider's museum. So what he did was he started a um, That's awesome. Me campaign and is trying to raise, I think, $75,000. And he, I think he's about halfway there. Um, and my contribution is going to be to do some artwork that will hang in the museum, uh, in particular his favorite picture of Dallas Winston, as played by Matt Dillon, um, where he's holding a pack of cigarettes and he's got a skull ring on his finger and he's got a leather jacket on and it's sort of the epitome of of Dallas Winston uh, and I think Danny just uh, loves that character so I'm gonna be um, having that I'm gonna put that work in the museum if I can get it done in time May 6th is there they're having like a big fundraiser and several stars from the movie are going to be in attendance um, that's down in Oklahoma Ralph, it's going to be in Tulsa. Yeah, at the, it's called the Kane Ballroom. Are you going to that? Tulsa. I I do not think I'm going. I really want to go, but um, and and I want to be supportive. I want to see the house, but also I want to be there when the stars of the movie are there. So it's going to be um, C. Thomas Howell will be there. That's Ralph going to be Macchio the shit. Be there. What's that? That's going to be the shit. That's, I know, right? Are you I'm kidding? not done. I'm not done. It's so it's Ralph Macchio, C. Thomas Howell, uh, a guy named Darren Dalton who plays Randy um, oh, in the movie. Yeah. He's one of the socias. And then um, because they're friends, you'll love this, because they're friends of Danny Boy and they're very supportive of his endeavors, uh, Deborah Foreman from Valley Girl will be there. Oh. And uh, and Robert Romanis, who, who played uh, Mike Damone in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, will be there. Man. And... Uh, so it's it's, a, it's I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple of oh Slim Jim Phantom from the Stray Cats is going is going to be there. So some of these guys are are uh, Danny's friends. So they're they're being supportive as friends, but they also happen to be notable for other reasons. So it's going to be a really great party, and it's going to be um, uh, all proceeds are going to go to restoring the house, and then the house is going to serve as this incredible uh sort of beacon for the city of tulsa that's dope anybody comes through yeah that's dope it it is i got family down there i got plenty of family down there oh is that right oh yeah yeah creek nation i just love that i I love that when anybody's that passionate about something and that they 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 don't go wouldn't it be cool if but rather yeah no he did something about it they actually try to get it done yeah doing something about it i wonder if uh they wonder if they're going to get matt dillon I, you know, I, I, I was wondering the same thing. He's not on, the, he's not listed. And I, I do know Rob Lowe uh, went there about a month ago for his 50th birthday. He had, and he just stopped by with his son. He hadn't, he hadn't been there since he was like 18 and they did the filming. Oh. And then recently, I think he, he was on Ellen DeGeneres and talked about how he went by the house. So that was sort of big news um, on the Outsiders House Facebook page was that it's 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 really become quite a significant uh, project because so many people love the movie. Francis Ford Coppola, you know, directed it. Yeah, I mean, that was a um, that was a vehicle for a lot of stars: Patrick Swayze, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise I mean, come Emilio on, Estevez. man. 
Yeah, it's it's unreal. Leaf Garrett. Diane Lane. <laughs> Diane Lane, good call. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I've always loved it. Um, I, I've always uh, loved the story. Um, yeah, that. S.E. Hinton, uh, who wrote it, and a lot of, not a lot of people know this, but S.E. Hinton wrote it. I think when she was sixteen. Wow. And a lot of people didn't didn't, didn't know that S.E. Hinton was a girl. Yeah. And- uh, especially early on, I think a lot of people know now. But when she wrote it, she she went with her initials because she wanted it to be. Um, she wanted to be published, and uh, you know. Well, she also wrote. She of- also wrote one of my favorite books that I've read. I read and uh, when I was a kid, and movies. Rumblefish. Rumblefish, another Matt Dillon movie too. Oh yeah, I was yeah, big. I was, sure. I was a, also also filmed in Tulsa. I think I was a big Francis Ford Coppola. Um, I was a big uh, uh, Matt Dillon fan. Still am uh, a big Matt Dillon fan. Like I, I was. I was. Oh man, I can't even begin to tell you how excited I was when he was announced to play uh, Vincent Corleone in The Godfather Part Three, and uh, that eventually that deal fell apart. Uh, well, he was in talks. I think he was in talks to play uh, Vincent Corleone, and uh, it fell apart, and uh, it went to uh, Andy Garcia. Andy Garcia, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I didn't realize that. That makes sense, though. That makes sense. Yeah, it was, uh, it I think it would have been great. Well, it was supposed to be Dylan, and it was supposed to be uh, what's the chick's name? Uh, she was in Edward Scissorhands. Uh, uh, Winona Ryder. Yeah, she was supposed she was supposed to play uh, uh, Michael Corleone's daughter, and uh, she got oh, she okay. got sick, and uh, either she got sick or there was some contract issues, or maybe both. Uh, I can't remember what it was because, again, back then there was no internet. I was just, I think I was listening to Mary Hart from Entertainment Tonight, and I would get all my information from news and newsreels and clips and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, she fell out, and then Coppola was uh, strapped for time, and Sofia Coppola came in, and, uh, you know, the rest is is history or misery, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> well, and here, here I can uh, I can take it back to the outsiders because, the on the Outsiders. What? Sophia Coppola. She, there's a moment where Matt Dillon is in his convertible and he's handling his uh, pistol, and uh, oh a girl yeah, comes over. That's and he's right. Like in front of like a Dairy Queen or yeah, yeah, like Tasty Freeze. <laughs> and, I, and a girl comes over. Girl comes over and says, "Mister, can I borrow a dime?" Yeah. And he he says, "No. Can you, can you go away, please?" That's Sophia Coppola. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Wow, full circle. That's what you get, people. Yeah. That's how we do it here yeah. at American Riddle. Right, right, right. My man. By design. Good. Well, no, I just wanted to catch up with you, uh, just so we can, uh, so I can finally, you know, get this get this up for the people, so they can listen to it. And uh, you and I, we'll, we'll we'll catch up soon, so we can uh, figure out which way is up and which way we're going next. Yeah, what's our next mission? Right, exactly. Yep, I'm I'm already planning some things and. You know, uh, it's going to be a busy spring and summer, I think. All right, Grandmaster Katz, I'll uh, I'll catch up with you soon, okay? All right, Malcolm. All right, I'll talk to you soon. All right, All right bye. Peace. And that's Grandmaster Cats on the blower people. So that's what's up. Like I said, it's, it's long podcast this time around, but thanks for tuning in. I will post. I will post all the links to everyone mentioned, everyone on the panel discussion for Wild Style, their Instagram, their Twitter, where you can find them. 
I'll uh, post all those links. I'll also post a link to Amazon uh, banner on AmericanRiddle.com. Please bookmark that and use it when you're doing your ordering, download, streaming, or whatever. Uh, uh, that will uh, keep us up and running and current, fresh. You know what I mean? Uh, so let's um, let's do that, and uh, I'll get this, uh, get all those links up. Uh, any pictures, any stuff like that, you know where to find me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. You know my name, Malcolm Riddle, and you know how I close out. Domino, motherfucker. Minimal.